With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Sean, you're here for a second time in a row. I know we're we're making the habit. Yeah, it's it's coming back. He's, <laughs> he's back. He's back again. Uh, and we are joined by a frequent guest of the Culture Cast, screenwriter Tim Burns. I put the freak in frequent. <laughs> <laughs> every couple months, ladies and gentlemen, every couple months. And I think for once we're watching a, a good movie. Hell yes. <laughs> I mean, Larry the Cable Guy is not in this film. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> hey, you know what? As much as we didn't like Jingle All the Way to, <laughs> when I met Larry the Cable Guy the day after my appendectomy, he was super nice. Oh. So he was like super nice in person. Are you sure? His... Are you sure you met him, or was that just the drugs wearing off? <laughs> Hey, you know what? I took no pain meds after my appendectomy. Really? So. I sure needed some after mine, and I've had open heart surgery, which didn't hurt. My appendectomy hurt like a son of a bitch. I took, I would rather just like endure it. And it wasn't that bad, but I mean, I didn't take any of the pain meds. It was just, I didn't want to be like completely like whacked out. Mind you, not to sidetrack us too much, but um, mine had burst. My appendix burst while oh, I was God. on vacation in Hawaii, and I didn't Ooh. know about it for a week. And oh. then I started having stomach pain when I came home and they said, your appendix burst like 10 days ago. Oh, and, Jesus. And apparently that can happen slowly. So anyway, when they did have to go in and take it out, he said, I had to scrape it off the sides of your intestines. So it's going to be oh. sore. <laughs> and oh. it, was, it was very sore because they had had to scrape stuff out of me. Oh, God. Well, my appendix was so inflamed that it had begun to fuse with some of my internal organs. Awesome. <laughs> so the, my surgery took like an hour longer than it was supposed to, which was freaking out uh, my fiance to no end. She's like, it should have been done by now. It's OK. Everything's OK. Well, He's got like a watermelon inside of him. <laughs> I, was, I was in surgery limbo because the night before my appendectomy, the uh, anesthesiologist called me at home and said, I just read your heart file and you've got a really bad heart and I'm not going in there. If, if you have a problem on the table, I can't save you. You'll just die. Oh. So I just called the surgeon and said, I'm not doing it. And then I called five other anesthesiologists and told them and they said, I wouldn't touch this guy with a 10 foot pole. So, so they wouldn't do it. Jeez. Wow. Well, I'm assuming you got your appendectomy before your bypass? Yes, I didn't get a bypass. I got a valve replacement. But yeah, it was oh. uh, uh, six months, though. It took six months of them trying to debate which would go first. Would my heart have to get fixed first and then they could do the appendix? Or would the appendix uh, get infected again? Then they'd have to do that because neither surgeon would go in. The heart guy didn't want to go in if the appendix was messed up. And the appendix guy wouldn't go in because my heart was funky. Jeez. It was awesome. Yeah. And now are you like, are you part pig now? I'm part, you have the pig, pig? part robot. I got a pacemaker and uh, no appendix, but I have a, some kind of gyroscope down there, I think. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, that is too much. Anyway, why, do I, why did I tell health stories? Let's talk about movies. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about movies. So, uh, Tim, have you been watching anything since last time I spoke to you? Anything stick out? Um, good question. Uh, just started watching the HBO's new series, The Night Of. Um which really seems good. 
really interested in that. And that's about it. Been working a lot. So haven't had time for TV. Well, working's good. Yeah. Working is apparently good. That's how TV gets made, apparently. That's what they right? say. <laughs> yeah. People like me spend time in the basement typing in the dark. <laughs> I've heard nothing but good things about the night of, so... Yeah, it seemed pretty good. I mean, I, I only saw the first two, but um, it was very, very smart and uh, very well done, from what I can tell. And all I, all I know about it is uh, the John Turturro character was supposedly originally cast for James Gandolfini. Hmm. So interesting. Rest rest in peace, James Gandolfini. Yeah. Unfortunately, but supposedly John Turturro does a good job. So it's one of those things, like a lot of TV, where it starts slowly, but um, but you spot John Turturro in a small role, and just the law of TV, you know immediately that character is going to become very important because it's John Turturro. They're not going to put him in that, that role and have it be as minor as they're trying to pretend. But uh, right, it's tough in TV where you go, no, they can't kill that guy. It's the guy they paid the most to be in this movie <laughs> sort of right unless it's game of thrones exactly and then which they is the best that. part of game of thrones is we'll kill anybody <laughs> yeah sean bean done spoilers everyone <laughs> we're like, seven seasons in now at this point okay yeah. i'd like to do it with a movie and have tom cruise in the first five minutes and kill him or something you know yeah. <laughs> so kind of like drew barrymore in scream or um in like in psycho yeah. Yeah. But Tom Tom Cruise, he'd probably he'd love that like million dollar paycheck to be in the first five minutes of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. He'd, he'd peace out. He'd be done. That's... Yeah. Later, guys. Uh, he's too busy doing a, a remake of The Mummy. So no way. Yeah. I heard that. Yep. <laughs> and guess what, guys? The Mummy is a woman now. Well, it makes sense given the name. <laughs> right. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Holy shit. Someone fi uh, finally went there. Hashtag dad joke. <laughs> it's a dad joke, guy. <laughs> oh, the mommy. Oh, God. Sean, have you been watching anything? Oh, man, since the last time, I don't think so. I think, um, like, the only thing that comes to mind was I watched The Invitation on Netflix, which, like, just came out in July. Um, and I really liked it. But um, there's really not that much to talk about. Um, uh, yeah, no, not really. <laughs> I was so into Stranger Things for like two weeks that I like didn't really do anything else. <laughs> I've been hearing a lot about that and I was just writing something in a hurry and people said, don't watch it because you're going to not want to stop watching it. So I, <laughs> I wasn't allowed to even peek at it, but I've heard really good stuff. I've already watched it like twice. Um, it's only six episodes or maybe, maybe it's like eight episodes, but it's I think it's eight. Yeah, but it, it's it goes quick and I, it's one of the most fun things I've watched in a long time. I believe it has everybody's favorite heartthrob, Matthew Modine, in it. <laughs> I'm correct. Oh, the other thing we I just watched was Happy Valley on that. Net. It's like it's a lot like um, um, Fargo as a series, but it's Scottish and it's this guy that decides to kidnap his boss's daughter to to get money because he's mad at his boss, and then it all goes all goes south. And um, my favorite scene, which was like in the middle of there was, you know, near a, a recent American gun disaster, which is like every two weeks. So it's just it happened within the last two weeks, let's say um, there every other day, Tim. Yes, every other day. Sorry. Yeah. There was um, a scene where they're going to this guy who's the they, they think they figured out where the kidnappers are. This guy's already killed a cop. They, the cops all surround it in the cars and they all get out and run in and they pull out their batons. <laughs> you can tell this show is not made in America. <laughs> what American show down there pulling out their batons? Like, yes. right? Yeah, every single one of them has got their batons out and they know this guy's armed and killed a police officer and they've got their fucking batons ready. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna take those bullets and we'll whack them out of the way with our wooden batons. Yeah. And I just thought, God love you, England. Just God love you. It's not Scottish, by the way. It's Northern England, so I, I'm in trouble for saying that. But um, anyway, it's really I'm good. assuming it's a it's a BBC show. Uh, I think so. Yeah, I enjoy BBC's uh, stuff. I mean, Doctor Who, obviously. Yeah. But uh, still waiting on waiting on the next season of that. So I know you're a huge fan of Doctor Who. Yeah, with my daughter. But we're, because we're watching on Netflix, we're actually a season behind. So we're waiting for season nine, I guess it is, to go on Netflix. Because uh -huh. you can't get it on demand anywhere else, and I'm too cheap to buy it on uh, Apple. So, I don't blame you. Yeah, it'll be free soon. So, what have I been watching? Hmm. What have I? Not nothing really. Uh, started watching. Oh, this is real bad. I started watching a Pokemon television show on Netflix. Uh, man. Dear God. 
<laughs> it's something. Uh, I don't know if it hasn't aged well or I'm just too old, but like the storylines are beyond simplistic. Yeah. Like, even if I were a kid, I would have been like, really? Like, I don't know. I was like seven when Pokemon came out, six or seven. So maybe it would have appealed to me, but. I don't know. I remember when it, was, it came on when we were kids and I it wasn't interesting. And then I was watching it recently because it's on Netflix now. And it's, the voices are beyond grading. Oh, my God. Yeah. But uh, you're right. There, nothing happens in an episode. No. Every episode is them catching another Pokemon. Yeah. And like, that's, that's all. It, that's all it is for, like, every episode. Because there's like hundreds and hundreds of episodes right like yeah i want to say there's like uh 14 seasons of the show uh, and each season has like 50 episodes yeah, something like that yeah it's insane children's television that's the way to go yeah man, man. you just pump it full it's like when tom stern and i were uh, developing a, a show for nickelodeon a couple of years ago that uh, got close to going but didn't but at one point they just said it's too it's too sophisticated and we want one of the execs, most of the people at Nickelodeon are pretty good, actually. But this one exec uh, said, oh, it's like, I want this to be like for a dumb eight year old. Not a. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> it should be a show that's like not a smart eight year old. This, this should be for a dumb eight year old. Oh, my it's God. And you know, it just that confirms so many things that I think about the industry. Just that sentence alone. No. Yeah, well, that's where I knew I was done. I just said, yes, yeah, or I, I just don't know how to do that except by accident. But uh, I mean, yeah. I've written dumb stuff but i'm never gonna set out and say gee this is for stupid people <laughs> <laughs> this is for dumb shits by the way <laughs> stupid enough to watch this. oh that was a soul-killing moment yeah. <laughs> yeah that's that's all i've been watching really and uh it's it's really not good <laughs> that and that and that and my boy bob ross that is some good just relaxation time TV watching. I should, so. I should send you uh, when we did Chimp Channel, we did a Bob Ross um, spoof where the chimp was, you know, in the big afro was painting pictures and it was the chimp could actually do it, like could paint, you know, put the brush in and paint on the thing. Which yeah, is see ya. <laughs> and then the sort of the joke was the chimp just kind of eats the paint and is basically <laughs> getting high off the paint. Um, you know, so it's like, oh, yeah, just some burnt umber and some, oh, let's try more of the. The yellow is tasty. Mm. <laughs> and it was pretty wacky. And the chimps just eating the paint and getting goofy and putting paint on everything. And um, yeah. and TBS just said, no, it's a drug reference. We can't do it. And they, <laughs> they wouldn't air the sketch. So somewhere there's an unseen Bob Ross as a chimp sketch. <laughs> That's amazing. You had me at chimps. Yeah. Anything with chimps monkeys is just... <laughs> I know. I've got it somewhere in my closet. Bob and man, Bob, and if you if people don't think that Bob Ross is like toked out of his mind uh, right? whenever he's painting, I mean he might not have actually been high, but he plays the stoner pretty well. Yeah. yeah. It's like, yeah, this is great. Oh yeah, the black gesso and the yellow ochre, and we're just gonna put a happy little tree. It's like who nobody nobody who is not high on marijuana talks like that. <laughs> Let's talk about Raising Arizona, shall we? Let's get right into Nicolas Cage month. Yes. Which I will be perfectly honest, I've been dreading since we <laughs> <laughs> since we decided that that's what we were doing for the month of August. Uh, before we get into Raising Arizona, I want to ask each of you your thoughts on Nicolas Cage as an actor, starting with Tim, because everybody kind of has their own take on him. Hmm. Well, I've seen him be really great in a few things, and... Like most actors, he's at the mercy of a script and a director. So I think he's talented but um, malleable. <laughs> and uh, when he's when he's got the right material or it fits him, he's he's a pretty entertaining guy to watch. I don't think he's great at hard drama. I would say I think Michael Bay ruined his career. The minute he did like Con Air and that stuff and, and refashioned himself as an action star, um, that's the stuff he he's, is not really down his is uh alleyway um but in raising arizona he's pretty awesome so I, I can't hold it against him i think he's got talent it's just a you know he's an oboe player and not every orchestra needs an oboe what about you sean my friends and i just we we always thought of him as like sort of like everyone's like drunk uncle you know what i mean he's like fun to have around and like sometimes it's horrible and sometimes it's like the greatest thing ever because like some of his movies are like some of my favorite like and like i hate to admit like some of my favorite movies i mean like i love wicker man you know what i mean like that is one of my favorite 
movies just because he's such a I mean he's such a character I have respect for him for like wanting to do the work so much that he does everything and I don't know it's <laughs> he has done some t- like turds but sometimes it fits you know what I mean I also think you could put him in a, in a almost a sim- similar category to Shatner in that uh, yeah. the one thing he the one thing he'll never do is underact he'll never be boring exactly. um, he he shows up ready to do stuff and sort of with a fearless, yeah, I'll try anything kind of attitude. But sometimes yeah. in wrong hands, that can be completely wrong, you know? Totally. But, but he seems like a fearless, uh, I'm not going to go small on this. I'll go, if I'm in it, I'm going to go for it, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I, I think my feelings on Nick Cage are everything that he does now is pretty bad. <laughs> uh, I mean, his more recent stuff he does not seem to be very discerning in what he takes as jobs anymore. Uh, the Left Behind movie from two years ago being a key example or any of the other, like you mentioned, Tim, these action movies that are just like you sh- kind of just like shake your head like, what are you thinking? Yeah. Um, and, you know, he was in financial trouble for a while there in the late uh, 90s, early 2000s, and that may have driven some of it, uh, you know, just needing to make money and I mean, I, I get it. You know, yeah. you just got to take these terrible roles and, you know, make chicken salad out of chicken shit. But <laughs> and they're not making a lot of uh, Raising Arizona's anymore. So I think. Yeah, it's sad. You know, <laughs> you're kind of at the mercy of what the market's doing. Yeah. And at least yeah. he's, he's he's in that category of what they'll call a bankable star for a certain kind of movie. So if the call comes and it's like, we'll pay you X amount for three weeks of work, I'm pretty sure he's going to say, yeah, OK. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I doubt he cares that. Uh, you know, people are like, Nick Cage fucking sucks taking all these terrible movies. But like, look at my bank account. I was broke at one point, like completely in debt. And I'm probably he's probably not anymore, I'm assuming. Yeah. And, so. it's, and it's not like he can't act anymore. It's more like if the right movie comes along, he'll still have the talent he has. It's just yeah. it's just you yeah. put him in the wrong thing and it's, it's good. That's what you get. Yeah. Yep. But but which what comes first? Because now he's at a point where he's taking these movies that are not good and maybe that diminishes his star power in the eyes of people that would be casting him in movies like Raising Arizona. It's true. Right? Yeah, I don't really understand the, the life of the actor that well, but I think it's always a tough case. And But I think there's several cases of actors who's who've gone down that road and then were redeemed by the right role came along and people looked at them again and said, oh, okay, you're not you're not a hack. You, you're a good actor, but but you just had to make a living for a while, you know? Cough, cough, Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, that guy was in Shaggy Dog two years before he was in Iron Man. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah probably, I don't know, Bruce Willis or even Sandra Bullock. There's been a few big stars who who had periods of why did they make that movie? Yeah. <laughs> I want to say Keanu Reeves, but I love Keanu Reeves too much to besmirch the name of Keanu Reeves. So <laughs> he made The Lake House, but okay. he also made John Wick. So <laughs> I don't I don't hear the name Keanu Reeves and besmirch in the same sentence a lot. So I'm going to go with that. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, Lord. But let's talk about Raising Arizona, which is a Coen Brothers film. So it automatically gets some huge points from, you know, from me. And I think a lot of people who sit down to watch it for the first time. Uh, The film stars Nick Cage, Holly Hunter, John Goodman, William Forsythe, and one of my favorite character actors in the whole wide world, Randall Tex Cobb. Yes. The... uh... The IMDb synopsis for the film is when a childless couple of an ex-con and an ex-cop decide to help themselves to one of another family's quintuplets, their lives get more complicated than they anticipate. Son, you got a panty on your head. Just drive fast, eh? Turn to the right! The first time I met Ed was in the county lockup in Tempe, Arizona. You're a flower, you are. A day I'll never forget. I do. You bet I do. Okay, then. My lawless years were behind me. Our child-rearing years lay ahead. But (laughs) biology conspired to keep us childless. You go right back up there and get me a toddler. I need a baby high. They got more than they can handle. At the time, Ed's little plan seemed like the solution to all our problems. And the answer to all our prayers. He's beautiful. What are you kidding? We got us a family here. I want Nathan Jr. back. 
What's his name? Ed Jr. Hi, Junior. So far, we've just been using Junior. We call him Junior. <laughs> He's out there somewhere. Hold on, Nathan. We're gonna go pick up Daddy. I've been taking these huggies and uh, whatever cash you got. You busted out of jail. We released Rashaz on our own recognizance. What Double here is trying to say is that we felt the institution no longer had anything to offer us. <gasps> we got a child now. Everything's changed. Yeah! Where's Junior? <laughs> Who the hell are you? I'm a fan. We're absolutely going to get him back. Just ain't no question about that. Give me that baby, you warthog from hell! <laughs> Hey, you want to know another thing? I'm going to be a better person from here on out. Let's go get Nathan Jr. Raising Arizona, a comedy beyond belief. Well, it ain't Ozzy and Harriet. Tim, rewatching the film, does it still hold up for you? Um, more, more than I ever could have hoped. Yeah, it was, in fact, um, an emotional experience. Because to me, it's, it's so damn good. I was like, damn, this is... Like just a, I, I want to say a comic masterpiece. I'm sorry to go to that length on this, but it really is a fun, exciting, skillful, uh, hilarious, just just a really good, solid, entertaining movie. I don't, I can't think of many movies that I find more fun or more entertaining than this one. And 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 you know, when the film came out, you weren't a parent, and obviously now you you are. Has that kind of transition the way you feel about the film in some respects? Not really, but what does stick in my mind, because I think, was this, 87, I think it said in the end credits? So yes. that puts me around 26, 27 years old when I first saw this. And um, I remember the review that came out on, on Canadian television. There was the our own kind of premier film critic guy hated the movie. And it was because of the way they treated the baby. And, and for him, that was crossing a line, that that's not funny to put a baby in danger. I had already seen the movie in the theater and laughed my ass off. My wife and I had both enjoyed the hell out of it. And never once did we think, oh, no, look what they're doing to the baby, because we know how films are made. And you know that that baby was never in any actual danger. So are you kidding me? So now that I have a kid, I'm watching it. And I wondered almost, is that going to be a factor? Well, I think differently now that I've uh, had to raise a baby. And no, it's still hilarious. It's still just, I mean, right off the bat, that whole sequence early on where he's trying to pick the baby and the the babies all start crawling around. The five babies in the playroom are crawling and they, they bring on this sort of Jaws-like terror music of, oh, no, babies coming from all angles. That's just a brilliant sequence. And um, there's just so much fun from the script, the acting, and the visuals, all three are really well integrated and at the peak of, you know, I think any filmmaker looks at that film and, and should be envious of all, all those three things. So, um, yeah, no, it, it, it didn't change my mind at all. It, if anything, I was more aware that coming, I haven't seen the film in probably about 15 years, um, of how strong the uh, the emotional story is. Usually uh, people make these kind of wackier independent movies. They they get the quirky characters and the strange uh, sequences going, but they don't have much that anybody cares about. It's the strength of, of the actual underlying love story and the kid story in this that, that makes it better than most of those movies. What about you, Sean? I'm assuming this is the first time you'd ever seen this. This is definitely the first time I'd ever said, I'm like so glad that I watched this. Cause like, it really is. I totally agree. It's extremely, extremely emotional story. And I thought it was, it's something that like, especially with Nick Cage, um, having the sort of like opinion that I do of him now, you know, you don't really take him seriously until you can. This was definitely one of those movies where like he, you, cause it is such a quirk. There's such a quirk to it. Um, but there is such a heart as well that you totally fall for. There's like a charm to it that kind of lets you ignore the absurd absurdity. You know, there's some scenes that where they kind of push like the, the, um, the absurdity for comedic value and it's so worth it. It's so it, you, you, you buy it. You know what I mean? Um, and I, I really, this is sort of a gem. I mean, they're not making movies like this anymore. Like Tim, you you totally said it. It's like these kind of mid-level movies where they really, really, really emphasize and highlight a great story and great characters and great relationships. Because I think that's like one of the best things. Like I, it's, it's a very memorable story. Um, and just that moment at the end where like when they kind of wrap things up, 
it's it's a crazy it's a crazy movie and like ridiculous things happen but it it just that that scene at the end in the in the nursery could have been so cheesy and so throwaway but it's such a, a sincere moment between um you know the two and the and the father of the baby and i thought that was just it could have been so cheap and thrown away and that to me was extremely emotional and just uh i kind of like wrapped it up really nicely so i thought this movie was such a, a gem and i'm really glad that you know, we we are we watched it this month because i i really liked this movie i had never seen this movie before obviously i'm a huge fan of the coen brothers uh you know on i guess i'm a huge fan of the coen brothers but there are also a couple of their films that I feel like maybe are people are a little too high on them that I'm just kind of like, eh, they're okay. But, you know, the Coen brothers, they oscillate for me uh, from film to film because sometimes I think a film is absolute genius and other times I just think it's kind of middle of the road. So Raising Arizona, on the other hand, I would agree with both of you guys that it is a fantastic film that changed my opinion on Nicolas Cage yeah, a little bit. Totally. Because... Before I watched it, I was dreading this month because my exposure to Nicolas Cage has been Nick Cage of National Treasure and Con Air and Wicker Man. And as much as I enjoy the hilariousness that is Wicker Man, it's not a good movie. It's it's a bad movie that's fun to watch. But, you know, the the characters in this movie are great. The writing is great. The performances are believable. These are real characters that, for the most part, inhabit a real world, aside from some of the kind of the more absurd aspects of the film, like Randall Tex Cobb's character. <laughs> it's a really well done film that, you know, like you said, Tim, it has heart to it. And comedies these days don't really do that, especially ones that have these idiosyncratic characters. And I would go as far to say is that some of the Coen brothers, more recent films with idiosyncratic characters don't have characters that I care about. Yeah, I actually totally agree with that, <laughs> especially um, their most recent film, Hail Caesar. That movie for me just was a complete dud. Yeah, no, that, that was a complete misfire, I would say. And I, I, I mean, the Coens are so good that it's like there are bands or musicians that I love that occasionally turn out something I can't stand. And and. If I love them enough as artists, I think maybe I'm the one not getting something. <laughs> but and maybe someday I'll I'll go. Oh, I see. It's this, and and it'll suddenly unfold to me as a as a great work of art. But um, but every artist has duds. Every artist has stuff where they gave it a good shot and just missed the target of what they were aiming for, or what you know, or maybe they got what they were aiming for and it was the wrong thing to aim at. You just never know. But with Raising Arizona, it's it's like, um, you know, this was them young filmmakers coming out. I think is this maybe like their second film after Blood Simple or um, it's it's pretty early in their in their filmography. And especially, you know, it's I think it's hard for you to imagine when this was new, when Nick Cage was new. And this film just was something nobody had seen before, just stylistically, the tone of it, the character, everything about this film was just a, a revelation. You know, this was their I mean, I'd seen Blood Simple and I thought, well, there's some cool camera moves and it's a good movie and it's very smart, but I didn't love it. It, it was just really good. I saw this movie and I was like, holy shit, there's a new, uh, like, you know, a new serious artist on the film. There's a new Spielberg kind of like somebody that you can get excited about when they have a movie coming out. Yeah, yeah. And it was, awesome. and rewatching it, you start, right. I just, just start writing down, I guess, things about the structure in that, that I didn't see the first few times. You start realizing how well it holds together and is like, I love that even that first dream sequence he has about the coming when when Ty Cobb's not Ty Cobb what's his name Tex Cobb Tex Cobb Ty Cobb's a baseball player when, <laughs> but Tex Cobb was a boxer yeah so, so I mean when that dream he has of him coming you know the gathering storm that this is coming and there's this you know Carter Burwell's music is is great and it's ominous and everything and then they come out of that to Holly Hunter with the baby singing him a song it's the same melody she's singing that song to him. And it's a murder ballad. It's about they hung him on a scaffold because he had killed a t You know, she's singing a horrible murder ballad to this sweet little baby. Oh, yeah, uh, I love that. But it's those little touches that, that if you watch the movie all through, they're, you know, they're really thought out. There's a lot of details that have been carefully placed in this film. And it's not, um, it's not happenstance. It's not just throw, throw shit at the wall and see what sticks. Um, the other thing I just want to say is I remember reading long ago about this film, about their writing process and 
how they outlined it, because I remember thinking this is a pretty crazy story and it's pretty crazily told. And they said that their process was um, to paint themselves into a corner, to um, not really think about this as the first act and second act and third act. And this is where this kind of character needs this in their arc or any of the kind of stuff a lot of writers traditionally do. They pretty much just thought, okay, now they're stuck here and they're in this trailer and they've got the baby. And what's the worst thing that could happen now? And then how do they get out of that? And so on and so on, sort of out of the fire into the frying pan. Um and I think that's part of the charm of this film is that it's there's no template in your head that you go, oh, it's one of those movies. I know what's going to happen next. Like You haven't got a clue where this movie's going the first time you see it. Um, so that's a lot of the fun of it. And also, I feel like and this is just me personally, as someone who watches Coen Brothers films, I have always felt like for a majority of their films, the third act is problematic. And in this film, it's problematic, but it's problematic in a way that works to the film's advantage, especially the way the film wraps up. Yeah. Where it doesn't really it doesn't really give you what you want as an audience member from the film. And I think that that's so successful about the film is that it, along with just the film itself, it subverts the expectations of what you're going into this film and the ending plays so strongly into that. And the Coen brothers, like I said, I've had a couple of their films more than a couple have. The third act is just not what I think is a successful third act, but this film really knocks that third act out of the park. Yeah, I would agree. I think that's, I think it's a, a part of the curse of being um, as eclectic as they are or trying to be as, as nonconformist as they are. They try and avoid obvious endings or things that are done in other Hollywood films, but that always leaves you with how do you create a satisfying ending if you're not going to do what the audience expects or what, you know, what dramatic theory kind of is pushing you towards. Yeah. And you can get too clever and do something that yeah, is, is – unexpected but it's gonna feel like somebody just gave you a pork chop for dessert <laughs> you know it's not what you wanted at the end of your meal so um i in this one the fact that they have the two convict friends and that those guys have the baby and then tex cobb comes in and has the baby you think they're setting up oh great they're gonna like they could they could get away with this completely because someone else will be blamed for the crime and they can kind of sneak out of it but it goes a different way and i think that's it, it, but what I saw, thought when I'm watching it is it has more to do with the heart of the film. That's exactly where they, yeah. they seem to know that their their film ultimately is a love story about this couple and their need for a family. So they came back to that and, that. and that felt like a satisfying ending because a good ending feels like it answered the question you asked at the first of the film. Yeah. And, and some films forget what question they're asking. This film seemed to remember what, what it's about all the way through. And that's that's always, you know, feels more satisfying at the end. I, I totally agree. I think that this movie, it sort of has like a story bigger than itself sort of feeling because you're right, it does. It, it has, it really comes back to itself at the end there. I, I love, one thing I love about this movie altogether is just it feels like, just with that really strong Southern dialect and very authentic, it just feels, it's very, there's something about, the uh, like just the real Americanness of it, and it very much reminds me of sort of like my family and like you know and Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky in line at the deli, I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It, there's something you about... Got a weird you got I a know. Weird... <laughs> I know. I was like, maybe I shouldn't say that. Um, but it, it, there's something about the earnestness and about the simplicity of them. And coming back to it at the end, like, I really enjoyed, like... To me, it was a very satisfying ending because what we got was a conflict between characters and relationships, and we see them sort of sorting through them. The minute Holly Hunter, duh. 
um, is she kind of has this epiphany in the car when they're going to find the baby at the end where she's like, I, you know, I, I made this, this oath as an, as a police officer. And it's such a beautiful moment because you see these real people sort of having these, like these revelations about themselves as human beings and where they fit. And, and even, even, um, HI's monologue at the end where he talks about maybe they have his last, his final dream in the movie where he talks about, you know, maybe, we can affect we could have affected this child and sort of still be the parent of this child, even though we aren't there for the rest of their life. That's a beautiful moment because it asks such a human question and in such a way that is real for these people. And I think that that is such a satisfying ending because it's such a of the heart, like you said. Um, well, what's, what's fun is that they're in that they're in the bedroom and the the Nathan, Arizona is pretty, you know, like he's convinced that someone else stole his kid and they are just returning it. So. They have he you know they give him a big door to walk through. They could walk out and be fine and get reward money. And uh, as you know, screenwriting one hundred and one will all tell you, character is about choices. Yeah. So at, at that moment, it's the fact that they had this choice and they said, you know, no, we actually did take him, and they they kind of own up. I mean, he sees it first because he sees the way they're looking at the kid. But again, they didn't try and wriggle out of it. Yeah. Interesting in the setup is that like Holly Hunter is the one pushing, you know, he's the criminal. Nick, Nick Cage is the criminal. Holly Hunter's the one saying, don't come back here without a baby and sends him back up a second time to get that right. kid. Right. And it's at that moment you're talking about in the car. She realizes she's she pushed this hard, too. It's not like, oh, my crazy ex-con husband is doing right. these things. So that's a smart detail to put in that a lot of people, I think. You know, I probably wouldn't have thought of something like that because you think, oh, he's the cr- criminal guy and she's the former police officer. You'd sort yeah. of paint them as opposites, but they're not opposites. And that's part of the kind of complexity that makes it such a, a fun movie. It's such a fun. Yeah, I love that. It's so beautiful. Because one thing that's kind of <laughs> kills me, and I wrote down some of the stuff they say, but he gives they give everybody in this movie some crazy, complicated, poetic d- language to speak. So yeah. they're all... They're all like Southerners and they're all kind of, you know, people of the earth, but they all say some pretty fancy highfalutin things. And it's just thrown in there with their folksy, you know, uh, working classisms. And it's 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 almost like part of the Cone Brothers tone. And it's not just one or two characters. Almost all of them have these moments of saying the thing you don't expect people like that to say. Yeah, yeah. Um, It's just almost like they invent their own language with this movie. And uh, it kind of almost comes to the the peak at the end with his final, Nick Cage's final monologue where, and it cracks me up every time because as he's sort of weaving this, you know, fantasy of of the future life, he sort of says, uh, I cannot tarry. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) Just like I cannot tarry, I mean, I mean, and early on when he says that uh, when he's talking about Ed being barren, and the the doctor explained that her insides were a rocky place where my seed could find no purchase. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's like so fun. It's so awesome, though. Like it's it just it, there's so there's such character in that language. I love it. Yeah, John, when got John Goodman's leaving the bank robbery, I had yes. caught this line before. He says, "Anyone found bipedal in five in five wears his ass for a hat." Yeah. So he uses good. the word bipedal for God's sake. Oh my God, so good. So it's it's awesome. Is all I can say. Yeah. Well, and you know, I think that the Coen brothers have really, you know, they have come a long way from this film. But I think this film, at its core, is kind of the genesis of their work as a whole. I mean, it's got these interesting characters. It's got a very eccentric plot that goes places like you guys said it goes places that you would not expect it to and then it's got some heart to it and a lot of the the cohen's best films have characters that have a real depth of emotion to them and believability uh you know i know everybody loves the big lebowski but the reason that movie is such a success is because jeff bridges character is so believable as a character well yeah and i think i think even if you compare it to some of the others that at least in my estimation, don't rise to that level. Like, uh, I love Oh Brother, Where Where Art Thou? But I don't think it's as good because... And it's and I agree. <laughs> because <laughs> for me watching it, those characters feel a little more like they're winking at the camera. Like, even they yeah. don't take themselves seriously. They're a little too on the postcard flat 
side of you know this is a sort of stereotype of a of a kind of yokel or something they don't have the authenticity or the sort of 3d-ness that the characters in big lebowski or raising arizona have and and i think you're right this this movie is kind of the um the blueprint for their tone or for their style that really kind of that they've kind of embellished and, and refined over the following years as they you know, made other movies. Well, and it also has some of the people that they would work with fairly fre- frequently. Uh, M. Emmett Walsh was in Blood Simple. Uh, Frances McDormand obviously is married to one of the Coen brothers. So she's married to Joel Cohen. She's obviously, she would be in Fargo. I mean, her her and Sam McMurray in this film, craziest characters in this film. <laughs> That's a great scene. The one where he, where he says, watch this, and makes the kid duck while he throws those... Uh, <laughs> oh, I <skin>. died. <laughs> I love that. That's so funny. Yeah. Or the fact that his character brings up wife swapping. Yeah. Yeah. My wife thinks you're cute. I think your wife's cute. Get the hell away from my wife. <laughs> I love like, his Polish joke. How many Polacks does it take to screw in a light bulb? Three. Oh <laughs> Wait, no. I said it wrong. Why does it take three Polacks? Why does it take three Polacks to screw in a light bulb? Because they're so dang stupid. <laughs> <laughs> And then he gets his comeuppance in the dream. At yeah, the end, yeah. Which, which cracked me up. So and <laughs> told one Polak joke too many. <laughs> Officer Kowalski. <laughs> yeah. That was great. Yeah, he's it, great. Every, everything about this movie really does further the plot. And it doesn't it doesn't feel like it's just creating these eccentric characters for eccentricity's sake. Yeah. They feel it feels like there's a purpose behind everything that happens. And I think that for me, some of the more recent Coen Brothers films don't feel that way. And they don't have these rich characters that I get invested in. I mean, my favorite character in the film is Leonard Smalls, the lone biker, the apocalypse. (laughs) That just blows up every single living thing on the way. (laughs) It's so funny. I love that scene. It's absurd. His character doesn't belong in this movie. Not at life, all. Life is hard for the little things. <laughs> <laughs> and he just like blows up rabbits and oh, stuff as he's so driving funny. on his giant Harley motorcycle. His scene, his scene with Nathan Arizona where he catches the fly and stuff. I mean, that's a great scene for him, you know? Yeah. He, he doesn't yeah. have a lot to say in this movie, but the one scene he's got, he nails it. It's yeah, really good. But that's it's just his character. I mean, his, the, the Coen brothers do such a great job of blending characters that i mean his character doesn't belong in this movie the coen brothers have such a great ability to make everything work together and when they're firing on all cylinders i mean you get a movie like this wait, wait thinking of tex cobb makes me think of this sound see if you can hear this this is a. That's I'm pretty sure that's the uh, emu sound they because that's of that age. That's from the that's emu, amazing. an emu library, and I'm pretty sure that's what they use all for his, you know, warrior of the apocalypse stuff. There's a certain. Uh... <laughs> it's awesome. Amazing as he comes hurtling down the. <laughs> yeah. I I I love him as an actor. You know, he's I've only seen him in a couple things, but he plays the monstrous gentleman so well yeah, yeah he sounds like he has a cold in the movie or or just got punched in the nose because he's like i'll find you kid he's got, it's almost like a marlon brando sort of snubbiness <laughs> to his nose but it um it's pretty hilarious well i just remember him from uh from fletch lives as as the guy who threatens to rape fletch in the prison cell uh a, a comedic sequel that actually works, Fletch, Fletch Lives. That seems like a role he would get a lot of. Uh, <laughs> a big guy who's going to beat up the small guy. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, and then he, even that first scene in the prison just reminds me of the prison scene in Raising Arizona where that guy's mopping the floor kind of growls at him every time. And it's, you know, and the voiceover's <laughs> talking about it's sort of old, ta- you know, old friends are still old friends and the yeah, feelings of battery. And that, the great, the great sort of running gag with the the parole board, you know, saying uh, they got a word for repeat offender, recidivism. You know, <laughs> that that sure is one bonehead word. Uh, so, <laughs> and he's like, well, I'm not. He says, uh, are you gonna like go straight? And he says, yes. And uh, well, you're not just telling us what we want to hear. Well, I guess I am telling you what want to hear because I am gonna go straight. Well, boy, I did not tell you not to do that. <laughs> so great. <laughs> the the okay then. I love okay then. Gets used as a refrain in this movie. 
That's yeah. become a sort of meme in our house for years is, okay, then. <laughs> is that, that in the, um, if you had to pick a, a sort of a meme or things that you would repeat, lines you would repeat from this movie, I'll put you on, what do you think they'd be? Do you have any that stuck out to you? Oh, I'm trying to I, know, I feel like there's a ton. Jeez. Because <laughs> for me, it's been since I first saw the movie, and I've got friends that all remember this line is, uh, you know, round is funny. Yeah, round is unless you think round is funny. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that old man is hysterical. Oh, that was so good. I don't know. One of my one of my favorite bits in the movie is um when the cops are at the Arizona household right after the baby gets stolen. Yeah. And Nathan Arizona, they're questioning him as to why he changed his name from Huffines. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and he's like, well, what do you think? They're going to buy furniture for someone. It's called unpainted Huffines. <laughs> I don't even understand the logic. <laughs> no logic whatsoever. Yeah. So why don't you, you stop sitting around here in the one house in the county you know my baby ain't at? <laughs> so clever so good every little character in this movie is so great yeah. like every little character it's like when um when holly hunter runs back into the bank at the end of the film and you can just hear the voice like little lady you best get on the ground yeah. like, oh my. <laughs> so good it's so fantastic and even the old guy that's the old bearded guy that's like a zz top band member in the in the bank when there's uh, having a dispute about like which is it freeze well, you want us to freeze or get on the ground? Because if I freeze, I can't move. I'm not on the ground. But if I get on the ground, I'm going to be in motion. <laughs> Just, <laughs> even to say it like that, I'm going to be in motion. It's like a physics guy talking. It's uh, it's an example of that colorful dialogue that's all throughout this film. It's it's tweaked to the Cone Brothers' ear, you know. Yeah. yeah. I died when when John Goodman's character like they, he tells everyone to get down, and then he looks and he's like, the tellers are gone. And then you hear just this That's disembodied right. voice say, we're down here, sir. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it kills me. All those little details, man. They're just so. We haven't, we haven't even talked about William Forsyth and John Goodman at all. They're great in this. Yeah, such great characters. Oh. <laughs> With their pomade in the bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that that oh. scene where they're kind of birthed out of the mud is, is a fantastic image. And just, oh, so yeah. the, just, just the way he screams, the classic John Goodman scream, I think, was yeah. Cool. In this movie, he screams then, he screams in the car when they left the baby, that long screaming sequence. That's right. <laughs> I love it. I think it's great. I thought that was the coolest. When he's pulling William Forsythe out of the mud. From the leg by one leg. <laughs> <laughs> and that first leg is so clearly like a prop leg. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's so clearly a prop leg, and then they cut back and it's him pulling him out of the ground. <laughs> yeah, but when, when John Goodman first comes out of the mud and he screams, I'm watching him like there's goop going in his mouth. And I thought yeah, that's, that's meant. That's an actor yeah. who's still going for it. <laughs> That's real. That's professionalism right it there. It is. I don't care if this mud's getting in my mouth and I have to taste That's it. That's right. I just love John Goodman so much. Like, he's such a cool guy. Is this? Would this be the first film they worked with him on? Uh, yes, I would I would think so, uh, because their first film was Blood Simple, and he wasn't in that. Yeah. So. so, And then he's been in pretty much everything ever since, although I don't yeah. think it's in... Uh... He wasn't in their last one, I don't think. Well, and this was this was two films after what is what has been considered his kind of breakout role, uh, which was in True Stories, uh, the Talking Heads right film. So this is two. This is his second film after that. So wow. Yeah, he's not John Goodman of now, who's like 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 you said, Timmy's in like everything. Yeah, and he's great. He's not Fred Flintstone. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they clearly like writing for him, and uh, I've I've read that the Cone Brothers are very specific about their dialogue, down to the pauses and the ands and ofs. They they write exactly what they want to hear, and I wow. think they like actors that that know how to deliver that. Yeah. And, um, I mean, he's got that line early on. I made note of when he's they're trying to sell high on going on a um a bank heist, and he says, uh, "You and I would be sitting in the fabled catbird seat." <laughs> it's just. Like <laughs> The fabled cat. People don't talk that way. He's yeah, the, the baby's sawn toothpicks. He's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the dialogue, not John Goodman, but just the way he delivers those lines is so perfect. Um, he can. He he's a writer's dream. I think. Yeah. Well, and I mean, they've worked with him a lot. You know, obviously, Big Lebowski. Oh, brother, where art thou? He played a relatively large part. Yeah. Barton Fink. Yeah, Barton Fink. He's great. Uh, Inside Llewellyn Davis, which. I absolutely loved. Uh, he's worked with them a lot, so they they must uh, he must he must gel very well with 
their style. Uh, if you know, yeah. he was in their second film, and I, he wasn't in um, Hail Caesar, though. No, surprisingly. But it's not necessarily a bad thing. <laughs> I don't think he would have helped that film. He died for bullet. <laughs> yeah, that movie was uh, really not great. So. Yeah, it was a, a, a lapse of form for the Coens, but they'll be back. Yeah. Uh, well, before I ask y'all, skip it or watch best performance, hmm. Tim, I'm curious because we haven't had you on for a Coen Brothers film before. What is your favorite Coen Brothers film? Oh, man. That, I'm going to put you on the spot. That is putting me on the spot. I, I, I think I got to say this one because it was the first and it really just um, blew me away so much. So as much as I liked... Um, I really like Barton Fink, and of course I love The Big Lebowski. Um, but as great as those movies are, I kind of knew what to expect because they, they're Coen Brothers movies. So I think I will always go back to Raising Arizona because it was the one that really imprinted on me when I was you know, young and impressionable and hadn't never seen anything like this before. Um, and it's not just the writing and it's not just the characters. It's also the visual style and, and the, way they, the, the way the film's directed. You know, um, It's it's pretty damn cool. So those would probably be my top three. And then later I'll probably remember something else with another one. I got to go make a list of all their great movies, but now I think I'll go raising Arizona. What about you, Sean? I don't think I've ever asked you. What's your, your favorite Coen brothers. Yeah, film? it's funny. It's um, I guess I still haven't seen the big Lebowski and I feel like I'm going to love that. Cause my friend, what? I, I know, I know that's like such a movie in my tribe. I totally need to watch that. Um, so I feel like that might be one of my favorite Cause I, I know I'm like dying to see it. Um, I really love Fargo too. I loved Fargo. Um, that's the one I think about probably first when I hear the Coen brothers. Um, but this movie was so good, man. Like I, this is up there for me. Like it might be one of my, I don't know. I really, really, because it's like you said, Tim, it really, you can kind of see how the seeds of everything that all the work they've done since then kind of started. And this, there's such an uh, original kind of going back to home sort of feeling, with raising Arizona, and I kind of love that. So I don't know. I really liked Oh Brother Where Art Thou, um, but that's because I saw it so long ago. Um, yeah, tough. That's a tough one. I really, uh, I guess I would say it's between raising Arizona and Fargo for me because I just love those. I loved Fargo so much, but it's hard. It's there's, hard even it's tough. Days, there's even days where I really like A Serious Man or whatever that one was. The, a serious man is pretty underrated. I enjoyed it. It's just like man. terrible things keep happening to, and they just get <laughs> worse. And there's just something increasingly funny about how how this guy's life just keeps getting shit on repeatedly <laughs> from the very first moment in the film. And it's there's a good example of an ending you can't enjoy in a third act you can't enjoy because it's just like bad things are going to happen and we're not going to – you keep waiting for the let up and no, there's not going to be any let up. But there's something <laughs> perversely fun about that. Um but I, I just want to say that for me, being a comedy guy, I, I, I don't think there's a funnier Coen brother movie than this. And Big Lebowski's probably second to it. They're, it's close. They're, they're kind of like brother sister movies. I think this and and Lebowski, um, oh. for their comedies, they're 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 closely matched. But I think this one's funnier. Having watched it, being fresh on it today, I think I laughed more at this than any other Coen brother movie. I'm surprised you haven't seen Big Lebowski. Sean. I know. I, I need to, and I know I need to. It's like a modern classic. I think it's a I, I think it's a little I think depending on the person I talk to about it, it can get a little like the conversation can veer into like overrated. Uh, I like it. It's not my favorite Coen Brothers movie by any stretch of the imagination. Probably for me, Inside Llewellyn Davis is probably my favorite. Wow. And I mean, I really enjoy it. It's so. a hard time with that one. It's a, I mean, it's a rough movie. The third act in that movie is not great. And the ending is the ending is a punch in the stomach. No pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> but oh. I mean, it's it's I enjoyed it. I, I really I really enjoyed it. I also really like uh, No Country for Old Men. Again, another movie that the third act just works way better in the book. Yeah. And in the film, it just is a w w wet fart. Yeah. For a, I mean, a lot of people I know when they watch No Country, they were like, that's how the movie ends with like a monologue by Tommy Lee Jones about following his father on the path in the middle of the night. Uh, but I, I really like Inside Llewellyn Davis. Hudsucker Proxy is good, too. Another one that's kind of... I know I like Tim Robbins and him just like inventing the hula hoop and being like a total ding dong in that movie is is pretty great. So Yeah. <laughs> it's a pickup on the circles are round is funny. Right. <laughs> the Coen brothers just think round is funny. Everybody a circle saying, for kids. <laughs> yeah they, it's for the kids you know <laughs> for kids it's a circle for kids for kids oh man 
Well, uh, Tim, skip it or watch it. Best performance. I'll skip it. Jesus. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. People are too stupid to appreciate the genius of this movie. Um, yeah, definitely watch it. Watch it twice. Watch it every five years. Um, best performance. I'm going to go Nick Cage. He holds the movie together as much as I think Holly Hunter is also awesome in this film. And John Goodman's great. Um and I know you're going to say Tex Cobb. I'm going to give it to Nick Cage because uh, this to me is his redeeming movie where you see what he's capable of in the right hands. He's pretty damn funny. And there's a lot of just the expressions on his face that um, sell the hell out of this. And the way he reads those dream sequence narrations is fantastic. Um, he does a, he does an excellent job in this film. What about you, Sean? Definitely watch this. I'm so glad that like you guys made me watch this because it's like it really is. It's I, now I can't wait to see the Big Lebowski um, even more. Um, but it's it's such a good movie, and it's such a it does everything that I love when movies do it well. You know what I mean? Like it's such a, it's so it feels so original. The story's so it, it's so rich, full of details, and like the characters are so much fun and lovable. Um, it's such a good watch, and I, I, I can't. I, this is one that I'll watch again, and I'm I like it a lot. Uh, as far as best performance. This kind of movie is the one where it's like where like every single even tiny character is so full of of story and I love it. Um, I loved Holly Hunter. I think I gotta say maybe I'll say John Goodman and William Forsythe together because I love the that duo and especially that when they um, when they steal the kid and they're like they're. <laughs> William Forsythe is holding him in the passenger seat and he just sort of like, they both kind of fall in love with the baby. Such a sweet moment. And I just love it. I, I thought they were so funny. So he I'm going to say to them. He smiled at me. Yeah. He smiled. nice. So cute. Like such a great moment. He don't know nothing from Shinola. Yeah. <laughs> don't you swear oh, around man. him. Don't you cuss around him. Don't you cuss. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to say watch it. You know, this movie had two actors in it that I had some pretty not strong opinions about, but I hadn't seen them in anything good. I know Holly Hunter has been in a lot of good stuff, but the most recent film that I had seen her in was Batman versus Superman. Uh And that movie was aggressively bad. (laughs) Uh, So she was really good in this film. Uh, They wrote that character with her in mind. Uh, And even if I had not known that, I would have been able to like kind of pick up on that because it really plays into her strengths as an actress and Nick Cage. I mean, like I said, I really didn't like Nick Cage. Uh, and I get the distinct feeling that the longer we progress in this month, the less high quality films yeah. we're going to be watching. I mean, this is starting out the month on a really high note. Exactly. Uh, this is like being at the top of Mount Everest and looking down and being like, well, we have to climb down the mountain now. Now don't we? Mm. So that's, you know, this starts the month on a really high note, and I really like Nick Cage in it. But for best performance, I have to go with uh, Tex Cobb. He's great. He's a minor character in the film, but does a good job of being a surly, rabbit-killing bounty hunter that openly wears grenades on his leather vest. Well, I gotta, can I add somebody to the best performance? Sure. I want to add uh, Barry Sonnenfeld as uh, DP, um, because the camera work in this in this movie is amazing. And he's probably not the operator. I don't know whoever operated the steady cam. That whole uh, chasing for the diapers scene that goes through the oh, yards yeah, and then yeah. into the the people's house. You just you just imagine a steady cam operator's life on this movie. It's yeah, yeah. it's some of the best camera work I've ever seen. And um, Barry Sonnenfeld deserves a, a shout out for that. And Barry Sonnenfeld also has a film coming out later this year. Uh, I want to say next uh, next week where Kevin Spacey plays a cat. Oh, that's so. right nine lines. <laughs> yes. Kevin Spacey becomes a cat. Excuse me. Oh. <laughs> so that's a thing that's happening. <laughs> so. I feel so good for both of them. <laughs> Jesus. Well, let's be honest here. Barry Sonnenfeld also directed one of the, I don't know. I don't hate the movie as much as a lot of people, but I know the movie gets a lot of shit. Barry Sonnenfeld directed Wild Wild West. Right. Well, he made his name. He made his name with the first Men in Black. Uh, right. Um, yeah, he's he's a, clearly. I think he's more of a visual stylist than a storyteller. Don't don't kill me, Barry Sonnenfeld's people. But um, compared <laughs> to, compared to the Coen Brothers, I think you know he's not in their league for script. 
No. All of a sudden, we hear a knock on your door, and then thunk, thunk, and you just drop dead because the Sonnenfeld people came in. That's right. <laughs> took you away. Who are you, oh. dweebling? What have you written, asshole? <laughs> it's true. I know. I'm sorry. Don't kill me. I'll take it all back. Can I work with you one day? <laughs> what do you guys think this has on Rotten Tomatoes? Uh, that's like out of 100%, right, Rotten Tomatoes? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I'll give it a 79. It should be higher, but I, people are, don't know this movie as well as they should. So 79, I'll say. I'm going to say a high, like 88. 90% from the critics. Nice. A terrifically original, eccentric, screwball comedy raising Arizona may not be the Coen's most disciplined movie, but it's one of their most purely entertaining. Oh, I forgot it's from the critics. Okay, yeah. Critics would all give this a high rating, yes. Yeah, yeah. The audience gave it an 85%, so. My faith in humanity is restored. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, interesting side note. Have you guys noticed that more recently spots on TV have been using Rotten Tomatoes? Really? In like every trail, in like every TV spot for a movie to like try to justify it being good? They didn't. They didn't used to do that. Like Star Trek did it. Ghostbusters did it. Wow. Like a bunch of recent movies have been doing it. I'm just like, when did this become a thing? Yeah, that's weird. I don't know. Since Siskel and Ebert gave up the ghost, I think there's <laughs> there's not really a preeminent film critic anymore. So yeah, it's, it's true. Just what, it's just what social media says. Internet <laughs> neckbeards, yeah. Tim. Internet neckbeards are the preeminent movie critics. I Pretty and, sure that... You need to form an INB website then. Internet, <laughs> Internet neckbeards. <laughs> <laughs> it's just every everything is bad. <laughs> this movie fucking sucks. Because <laughs> the internet neckbeard said so. We gave it a two meh. <laughs> <laughs> Super meh, guys. Mess. It's not even bad enough to be classified in shit. It's just meh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. I love how that's a thing. Like, professional movie critics write meh. That was my favorite, least favorite. Well, I've had a lot of bad notes in my life as a writer, but... Uh, that one took the cake. I handed in an outline for an episode of um, a series I was working on, and the exec just wrote meh across the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking burned you good. Just like crossed it out and wrote meh on it. And I thought, fuck, oh you know, God. really? <laughs> Man, he couldn't, even, he couldn't even muster up more than three letters. Ah. No. What, what a shithead. Thank you for your input. <laughs> Well, uh, before I talk about the next culture cast, Tim, uh, anything you're working on now you want to talk about? Anything you can talk about? Um, I'm just, I just finished writing a pilot that I hope sees the light of day soon. And, um, uh, and I'm working on a kid's show with one of my heroes, so I'm excited. I hope that happens, but I can't say. And then uh, what I can say is if, if anyone's got a little kid and they, they watch Sprout, they'll see Terrific Trucks. And I wrote the theme song and I sing it. I co-wrote the theme song and I, I sing it. So they can hear me singing the Terrific Trucks theme song. Oh, How exciting is that? That's awesome. It's me doing a bad uh, ZZ Top impression. So <laughs> check that. But is there really a such thing as a good ZZ Top impress- impersonation? I think as long as you're trying to channel the ZZ Top magic, you're in a good place. <laughs> it's magic. Beard, beard and yeah. gonna beard and rotating guitar. Yeah, is all you need. Life is good in the ZZ Top world. And a pair of cheap sunglasses. I was gonna say you need the shades. No pearl necklace though. No. Um, no. <laughs> I just sang like this. I did my singing here. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Oh man, and they're like that in live. I don't know if you've ever seen them live, no, but oh Lord in heaven. <laughs> <laughs> oh. There's nothing lost in translation. Let's put it that way. (laughs) But I did just go see Paul McCartney, which was awesome and life-changing. But he did one song that is still freaking me out called Temporary Secretary. So so look look into that and tell me what the hell's the deal with Temporary Secretary. Temporary. Yeah. Look it up. (laughs) (laughs) I was just saying he didn't do I've Just Seen a Face. He didn't do I'm Looking Through You. But he did Temporary Secretary. (laughs) Temporary. It's a rhyming song, guys. What's the deal, Paul? Oh, I saw I saw Paul McCartney a couple years back and I enjoyed it. It was pretty it was pretty good. He wasn't playing temporary secretary at the time, I don't think. No. So, the show was great, but that was weird. <laughs> what about you, Sean? Anything you're working on now? Um yeah, Ghosts and Stuff Inc. is uh on its way. It's my episode just came out yesterday, so um give it a look. It's on my it'll be on my Facebook page. Um and it's there's a few more episodes left for the first um, like I guess little series and I really I had a lot of fun working on this it's a it's a fun web series really really funny and it's a great uh, group of people so we really want to continue working with them so check it out 
um, I'll post a link to the page and subscribe to the YouTube channel so that we can keep working on this because it's such a fun project. Um, so yeah, that's Ghost and Stuff. Check that out on my Facebook page. On Sha- I'm Sean Liang, and on on Twitter, you can always follow me uh, at Seanifer. And you can follow me on Twitter at Culture Stash. And if you like what you're hearing now, head on over to head over to cultureshock.com slash culturecast to check out 100 plus episodes of the culturecast. If you like hearing Tim talk movies with us, uh, Larry the Cable Guy's immediate Christmas classic Jingle All the Way 2 comes to mind. Uh, we also talked The Big Short and I'm trying to think what else we've talked, Tim. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Once you said Larry the Cable Guy, I stopped listening. <laughs> Once you talk to the Larry the Cable guy, I immediately shut down. PTSD. <laughs> yeah, it sort of triggers projectile vomiting on my part. It's involuntary. So. <laughs> oh, I know. We talked. We talked Phantom of the Paradise. Oh That's yeah. That's right. Yeah. Classic. Phoenix. Oh man, absolute classic. Absolute classic. Uh, the music that you're hearing is the intro outro f- for the podcast is from the lovely band Wavoka. It's their song Lament off their self-titled first album. So go check them out. And if you want to kick a couple dollars our way to help us keep the lights on and the rats running on the treadmills over here to help us power the soundboard, head on over to patreon.com slash culture underscore shocked and kick a couple dollars our way. The next culture cast, we're going to be talking about Vampire's Kiss. Otherwise known as that one Nicolas Cage movie where he screams all the time <laughs> and he screams the alphabet. It's no raising Arizona, ladies and gentlemen. I can tell you that. <laughs> Big thanks as always, Tim, for you taking time out of your busy schedule to sit down and talk movies with us. Always fun. Thanks. And uh, make sure to check out the next culture cast. Yeah.